You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your copy of God's Word or your Bible app, will you grab that and go with me to Matthew's Gospel? Matthew chapter 10 is where we'll begin this morning. We're going to kind of hop all over the place in Matthew today. And if you don't have a Bible, there are stacks of Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. Please grab one now or on your way out. We would love to give you a Bible. That's our gift to you. No strings attached. And if you don't know your way around the Bible that well, we've put all the verses on the screen this morning so you can follow along with us without any trouble at all. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? Matthew chapter 10 is where I want us to begin. Listen to what Jesus says here. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Today we're wrapping up a short, just two-week series with one big goal. And I announced this goal last week clearly, unapologetically. I want to do so again today. My hope in this series is that God's word will inspire every friend and gospel partner of Faith Church to get involved in phase one of our facility master plan. If you don't know the full details of everything we're hoping to accomplish in phase one, go to our website, faithrs.org, click on the phase one page, you'll find all of the details there. Our goal is to collect $100,000 before the end of June to launch phase one. Before today, we had just shy of $95,000, so already been given. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. To those of you who have already given with such extreme generosity, thank you. Thank you. And for those who have not yet given, ask the Lord what he would have you sacrifice in order to go with him on this mission, in order to help us move forward with Jesus into phase one, which will certainly allow more families, more children in our community to be exposed to the good news of the gospel. Ask the Lord what he would have you sacrifice. Sacrifice. That's our key word for today. In this short series, we're looking at the two words that changed the first century world. Follow me. We're looking at the follow me passages in Matthew's gospel, the stories where Jesus says to someone, follow me. And we're asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus truly? What does it mean to be his disciple, to go with him on this mission of making disciples of all nations? We looked last week at Matthew 4, where Jesus calls his first, his earliest disciples. Follow me, he said to them. And in this passage in Matthew 4, we saw four basic truths about discipleship. I want to just recap these very briefly. We learned first that discipleship happens in community. You don't follow Jesus in isolation. This is a communal mission. Discipleship happens in community. We also learned that discipleship begins with sovereign grace. 
In Matthew 4, it is Jesus, the master himself, who initiates the master-disciple relationship. Jesus selects us. He calls us into the community of discipleship. Third, we learned last week that discipleship always involves radical surrender. This resolution to go with Jesus, it requires that we renounce certain things that we leave things of value behind in order to go with him on his mission. And then finally, last week, we learned that discipleship is, in fact, mission. Now, in the modern church, we divorce these terms, discipleship, mission. We even pit them against each other. We identify one church as a place of discipleship because there the people are very studious. They are engrossed in God's word. They study a lot. And we identify another church down the road as a place that's very missional. They care about evangelism. They are engrossed in God's world and all the lost people in it. That's what they care about. But Jesus insists, he insists that we keep these two terms together, discipleship and mission. In fact, he insists that discipleship is mission. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. To go with Jesus... To truly follow him is to go with him on his fishing expedition, making disciples of all nations. Now that's what we learned last week, today. Today I want us to focus on this third truth, the one we uncovered last week, but we're going to explore it further today. Discipleship involves radical surrender, always. It always involves radical surrender. Surrender. The resolution to go with Jesus, it requires us to renounce certain things. We saw this so clearly in the story last week in Matthew 4. The first four disciples were fishermen. When Jesus called them, they immediately left their nets and they followed him. Think of what they sacrificed. They sacrificed familiarity, a trade they knew well. They sacrificed, they surrendered stability, a paycheck, all to go with Jesus on the mission. This is a clear truth in that story, but it's a hard truth, isn't it? And we don't like hard truths, so we try to wiggle our way out from under them, don't we? You can be honest here. This is a safe place. We try to wiggle our way out from under the hard truths of the Bible. So we say things like this. Well, yeah, those guys, they made that level of sacrifice, but they were different. That doesn't apply to us today. I mean, they were the big 12 disciples, the very first ones. And they had to leave everything to go with Jesus because Jesus' earthly ministry had only lasted three years. They didn't have long, so they had to quit everything else. They had to sacrifice that much in order to go with him because they were the big 12, and Jesus only had three years on earth. So what applied to them doesn't really really apply to us. See how we try to wiggle out from under it? Now that maybe sounds good at first, but then when you read the rest of Matthew's gospel that whole argument falls apart. Because this radical surrender of discipleship, it is a recurring theme in Matthew's gospel. I want to show you this today. I want us to look at three other examples where Jesus says to someone, follow me, and we will see this same radical surrender required. It didn't apply only to the 12. It applies to anyone. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus today. In each of these three passages we're going to look at, and we'll only scratch the surface. We can't get into all the details of these stories. We're going to focus on the surrender element. But in each of these passages, we will be presented with a question. 
And really, it's not three questions. It's three ways of asking the same question. And here's the question. What are we willing to surrender in order to go with Jesus? What are you and I willing to surrender in order to go with Jesus? Three passages, three ways of asking that same question. Here's the first one. Are we willing to surrender our personal and family plans? Matthew chapter 8. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's back it up to the beginning here. In this chapter, Matthew 8, we have two people who approach Jesus with something to say to him. The first one is a scribe, so he's a scholar. He's an academically-minded man. He's an expert in the law of God. And as we read the Gospels, most of the scribes, they weren't really fans of Jesus, but this one was. This one quite likes Jesus. In fact, he wants to follow him. He probably identified Jesus as the teacher under whom he wanted to study. Remember what we learned last week. In the ancient world, it usually was the student who initiated the master-disciple relationship. The student picked the person he wanted to study under, and that's exactly what we see happening here in Matthew 8. This scribe comes to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Probably he was thinking, I've heard about this man's teaching. He has said some really thought-provoking stuff. I'd like to learn more. I'd like to be his student. But you see, discipleship, following Jesus, it's about more than being a student. It's not less than being a student, but it's more. To go with Jesus, to follow him, is to go with him in an attitude of observation and imitation. Look, learn, and live. Live as Jesus himself lives. And Jesus clarifies what that means in this very passage. Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, fine. You want to go with me? Understand what that means. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me truly, then you must abandon your creature comforts. Whatever personal plans you have, even your aspirations for the most basic things in life. Understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about setting aside our luxuries. Don't do that to this passage. That's not what he's saying. What is a hole in the ground for a fox? What is a a nest for a bird? These are the basics of life. Jesus is not calling us to surrender our vacation homes and our investment properties. No, no, he's talking about being willing to give up the basics of life. The equivalent for us would be something as basic as a home. Surrender your creature comforts if you truly desire to follow me. 
Now that's the first man who approaches Jesus. There was a second one in this story, wasn't there? The second one is an unnamed disciple. We never learn who this person is. Presumably it was just someone from the crowd that day. And this disciple comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Sounds like a very reasonable request, right? This man wanted to follow Jesus, but he felt that he needed to care for his family first. So he comes to Jesus almost as if he's asking Jesus' permission. Lord, I want to go with you. I truly do. But first, but first, let me bury my father. Don't go on the journey without me. I'll be back. And much to his surprise, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me now and leave the dead to bury the dead. Now, what in the world does that mean? Leave the dead to bury the dead. How, how can the physically dead bury the dead? Well, they can't, of course. So the first reference to the dead here must refer to those who are spiritually dead. Those who are physically alive, but spiritually they are dead. They do not have a relationship with Jesus, the lost people of the world. So what Jesus is saying to this would-be disciple, in essence, he's saying, let the lost people of the world bury the dead. I mean, somebody has to bury the dead, right? But anyone can do that, and nothing can be done about the dead now. But something can be done about the living. And only those who are alive spiritually, who have a relationship with Jesus, only those can share the hope of Jesus with the world. So he looks to this would-be disciple and he says, abandon your family plans. Let the lost people of the world worry about burying the dead. You, follow me now. This man, he wanted to go with Jesus. He truly did. Just not yet. He wanted to delay discipleship, to postpone it to a more convenient time. I'll go with you, Jesus, but first, but first... And herein lies the problem. We make similar excuses. We ask for similar permissions from Jesus. We say, or at least think things like, Jesus, I want to go with you, but first, just let me get comfortable in life. Let me buy my home. Let me pay off some debt. Then, then I'll be ready. Then I'll go with you wherever you call me. We say and we think things like, Jesus, I really want to go with you, but first, let me make sure my children are ready for life, secure, let me get them married, get them out of the house, then I'll sacrifice whatever you require of me. Or we go the other way with our excuses. Jesus, I want to go with you, but I'm old now. I served you when I was younger. My time has passed. I want a restful retirement. You see, in making these excuses and asking for these permissions, we show that we're not truly following Jesus because we're not willing to surrender our personal and our family plans. Radical is the surrender of discipleship. Are you, am I, are we willing to surrender our personal and our family plans? That's the first way of asking the question. Here's a second one. Are we willing to surrender our self-interest 
and safety. Our self-interest and safety. Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, on this occasion, and this passage is very similar to the one in Matthew 10 I read earlier, and on this occasion, it is the 12 disciples that are the direct audience. But notice that what Jesus says here, it does not apply only to those 12 disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me. So this includes you, and it includes me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's crucial we understand the context of Matthew 16 here. Jesus has just told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem where he will suffer and he will die and he will be raised on the third day. And in response to that, Peter, bold and boisterous, rebukes Jesus. He says, Jesus, no way, that can never happen to you. And it's in response to Peter that Jesus utters these words. It's in response to Peter trying to protect Jesus, trying to keep Jesus safe, that Jesus utters these words. Because you see, to keep Jesus safe, it would have been to abandon the entire mission. The mission of God, the very reason Jesus came, had nothing to do with safety. It was to go to Jerusalem, to suffer and die and be raised for us. Jesus' suffering was unique. It was redemptive. He's the only one who could suffer in this way. Fully God, fully man, he's the only one who could restore the fractured fellowship between God and man. So his suffering is unique. But Jesus calls all who will follow him to come on this same road of suffering, to prepare for it. He says, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Take up the cross. New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce says that this saying, the way we use it today, it's not difficult at all. But the way it was originally intended, there could not be a harder saying in the entire Bible, he says. You see, here's what we've done with this phrase today. We have diluted it to the point that it has no power, no punch, no sting, no bite. We use it referring to just common annoyances. The in-laws are in town this week. It's my cross to bear. My cross to bear. Washing machine, it was broken this week. My cross to bear. No, it isn't. Not even close. You see, when people in the Greco-Roman world, when they heard this phrase, they knew exactly what it meant. You know why? Because they had seen the cross. It was the source of their nightmares, and not just the children. They had seen crucifixions. They knew what it meant to pick up a cross. Jesus uses this unmistakable instrument of death, the cross, to make the point that to follow him, it is not saying, I'm ready for a life of these simple annoyances. No, no. It's to say, I am ready for whatever comes my way. I am ready for rejection and persecution and humiliation and death if it comes to that. 
radical. Radical is the surrender of discipleship. Are we willing to surrender our self-interest and our safety? One final way of asking the question. Here's the last one. Are we willing to surrender our worldly wealth? Take a look at Matthew 19, the final follow me passage in Matthew's gospel. On this occasion, there's a rich young man, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, All the commandments I have kept, all of them, got them covered. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. On this occasion, it's a rich young man. He comes to Jesus with something to say again. And not only is this man rich, he's confident. He's very confident. Confident in his own ability to attain eternal life. He says to Jesus, I've kept all the commandments, Jesus, but what do I lack? So though he was confident, he must have sensed that there was something missing in his life. He must have felt incomplete. And so Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect, and the word perfect here is better translated as complete. You see, Jesus says to him, I know you're lacking something. If you feel that you're incomplete, let me tell you what you need to do. Go. Sell what you possess, give to the poor, use your wealth for kingdom purposes, and then you will have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Jesus says, what you've been lacking is me. You must look to me, you must follow me, but understand that following me means surrendering your wealth, your worldly, your earthly wealth. But this cost, the cost of discipleship, it was too high for this man. So look at what he does. Verse 22. He turns away. He keeps his great possessions, tight grip on them, these great but temporary possessions, and he walks away from Jesus. He walks away from a master-disciple relationship, the one that leads to eternal life and reward. See, in the end, this man shows he's not truly looking for a master. Because he already has one. His money is his master. His money is his God. The object of his affection, his adoration, he already has his master. Radical is the surrender of discipleship. Jesus must be our first priority. Do you remember last week when I talked about Dallas Willard? great American philosopher who's written a number of books. One of them is called The Great Omission. And in that book, he warns us about vampire Christianity. Do you remember that? Vampire Christianity, in essence, says, Jesus, I want a little of your blood, please and thank you, but I don't care to follow you. I don't want to go with you. Just save me, Jesus. Just give me your blood and then just leave me alone. Vampire Christianity. Other writers throughout church history have referred to that same concept in other ways. One in particular has called it cheap grace. I want to introduce you in closing to a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you will know Bonhoeffer's story. This expression, cheap grace, as far as I know, it originates with 
Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian who courageously opposed the Nazis. And this led to his arrest by the Gestapo in 1943. For two years, Bonhoeffer was in prison, concentration camps. He ministered during that time to his fellow prisoners, wrote a number of important books. And eventually he was transferred to the extermination camp at Flossenburg. And on April the 9th of 1945, just one month before Germany surrendered, Bonhoeffer was executed. A decade after his death, one of the camp doctors who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging, he described the day like this. He said, The prisoners were taken from their cells, and the verdicts of court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in the room, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer. Before taking off his prison garb, I saw him kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God, I was most deeply moved by the way this this lovable man prayed. So devout, so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then he climbed the steps to the gallows, brave, composed. His death ensued in just a few seconds. In the almost 50 years I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Bonhoeffer was just 39 years old at the time of his death. Like I said, he wrote a number of important books, and one of them is called The Cost of Discipleship. This is a man who knew the cost. I reread Bonhoeffer's work on discipleship as I was preparing for this little series, and I was struck afresh by his just masterful rebuke of vampire Christianity, comfortable Christianity. Imagine a vampire Christian, a person who claims, I want a little of your blood, Jesus, but I don't really want to go with you. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to move with you on this mission. I don't want to sacrifice. I prefer to be still, stagnant comfortable, cozy. After all, we're saved by grace, aren't we? We're saved by grace, not by good works. To this, Bonhoeffer would say, indeed we are saved by grace, but this grace of which you speak, it's a cheap grace. Cheap. And what we need is costly grace. In closing, listen to these words. Bonhoeffer himself wrote this, the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace is the mortal enemy of the church, he says. Our struggle today is for costly grace. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. No change. It's baptism without the discipline of community. It's the Lord's Supper without the confession of sin. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ. Costly grace. Costly grace is the hidden treasure in the field for the sake of which people go and sell with joy everything they have. It's the costly pearl for whose price the merchant sells all that he has. It's Christ's sovereignty for the sake of which you tear out an eye if it causes you to stumble. 
It is costly because it calls to discipleship. It is grace because it calls to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs people their lives. It's grace because it thereby makes them live. It is costly because it condemns sin. It is grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, grace is costly because it was costly to God. Because it cost God the life of His own Son. You were bought with a price. And because nothing can be cheap to us, which is costly to God. We are saved by grace, no doubt about it. But true grace is transformative grace. It changes us. We are saved by grace through faith, no doubt about it. But true faith has feet. It walks. It moves. It follows Jesus wherever He leads us. So you see, Faith Church, the question for us as we enter into phase one, as we continue on this mission with Jesus, the question is, what are we willing to surrender? What are you willing to surrender? Radical. Radical is the surrender of discipleship. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what can we say but thank you for the sacrifice you made? Lord Jesus, you came for one purpose, to go to Jerusalem, to suffer, to die in our place for our sins, and to be raised on the third day. We've opened your word this morning. We can't make any excuses now. We know the truth. Jesus, you call us to follow you on the road of suffering, the road of self-denial. It doesn't matter what our preferences are, our personal and family plans. We have to be willing to set all of that aside. We know. We know the truth. Question before us now is will we live it out? Will we surrender? Will we follow you? Will we follow you?